Well, welcome once again to Legacy Leadership Alliance. I am Bishop Sean Cooper, and I tell you, it is a joy to share with you here on Legacy Leadership Alliance. Legacy Leadership Alliance is a weekly podcast dedicated to emerging generations and thought leaders for legacy transference in the marketplace, educational systems, and religious institutions. Legacy Leadership Alliance four points are legacy, mentorship, PK Alliance, and pastoral infrastructure. Well, as always, it is an incredible opportunity to share with you here on Legacy Leadership Alliance. And once again, this was this is part two with my good friend, uh, Chief Campbell, as he shared with us policing, pastoring and the prophetic. So let's go right into the conversation with my good friend, Chief Dion Campbell. Be blessed. Well, let me ask you this, uh, because this is so unique. So do you think that while you you pastored a local church, you're still pastoring, you know, that mantle is still upon you, but as as um, pastoring a local church, do you think that there was some type of preparations that was uh, made available, or in other words, God was working in you to prepare you for this particular uh, position as police chief? Absolutely. Pastoring is a, is a preparation in itself. You have to deal with people. You have to deal with their issues. You have to show compassion. You have to show grace. You have to make hard decisions. The, the whole dynamic of everything that I learned in the church prepared me for this day. And that's, that's why I'm never one to try and bash the church because I understand it, its relevance and its usefulness. The church is basically what gave me the ability to do what I'm doing, and it's confusing. It's confusing to the natural mentalities that I'm dealing with. Here's a police chief who's talking about love and compassion, and that's very different. Here's a police chief who's talking about transparency, transparency uh, among our ranks, and that's very different. But it does come with a price, Bishop. Let me ask you uh, another question. Then we're going to pivot in a minute here, but man. I- I got a thousand questions to ask you, but we have just a limited time. But man, I I did want to ask you your position as it relates to dealing with the church issues. Uh, you know the the challenge with the evangelical dynamic, mm-hmm. the wearing masks, not wearing masks, uh, and then the black pain or people of color pain. Um, and then it gets into the political dynamic of, you know, Democrats, Republican, which many are so rooted in that particular philosophy and and uh, belief system that it joggles the purity of the heart. It blinds them of what is righteous and what is unrighteous, which also affect people's behavior. And you have to deal with a lot of the aftermath of what's going on in the heart. Um, and, and I know this is a technical question, but what is your position on even confronting that? Because it's very difficult and understand, um, you know, that sometimes people not obeying laws, like, of course, things has changed when it terms, when it comes to terms of mass and no mass and things of that nature. But last couple of months, 
I mean, some things were was very clear that when you go into a store, you got to wear a mask. But a lot of people says, um, I don't want to wear a mask, and it becomes a problem, and they got to call the police, and you guys come. But a lot of that is is not just because of fighting for freedom. There are some other things that's going on in the heart. What what is your position concerning that? Number one, I think that the saints have to depoliticize their faith. <laughs> I think that that that's is good. Yeah, that is critical. That the saints must depoliticize their faith. Number two, I think that you cannot allow your ethnicity to blind you. You know, our allegiance, first and foremost, is to the kingdom of God. Yeah. And our, our job is to stand up for righteousness, whether it be black or white people who are being done wrong. If people are being done wrong, our position should be for the correctness of the kingdom. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. If the, the Bible talks about certain positions and we have a black president who goes in opposition to what the Bible says, we cannot stand with that black president just because he's black. We have to stand with the principles of the kingdom of God. That's right. A, a, a white person, in, in contrast, can't make decisions based upon their ethnicity, but they have to make decisions based upon what's right and, and what's wrong. Realistically, the church is not supposed to be so uh, enamored with the political system because they really have two, two jobs. Number one, the church should be a voice that guides Democrats, a voice that guides Republicans. But exactly. the, church, the church also should be separated enough from them that when either party does wrong, they have the ability to rebuke them and set them back on the correct course. And that's what you see with a Martin Luther King. Uh, that's what you see with a John right. the Baptist when they stood up against the political systems and said, you're wrong. Your ethics are off base. But if we are so, if, if our faith becomes politicized, you cannot make those determinations. So there has to, to be a delving back in it. It just told off on how authentic our relationship with God really is and really exactly. was. E even Bishop, even the Black Lives Matter, I believe in the Black Lives Matter movement, but yeah. I do not believe in the Black Lives Matter organization. Exactly. You cannot, you, you, the Black Lives Matter organization basically uh, is against the family structure, and I can't get with that. And, exactly. and uh, whenever you come against the traditional family structure, uh, they, they basically repel man and wife marriages and, and so forth and so on, and I can't get with that. That's the hidden agenda under the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, what they stand for in essence as far as the rights of black people, we're down with that. We're yeah, down with it. That. We're going to rock with it, but I can't rock with an organization that 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 basically per perpetrates violence in our own communities. It doesn't yeah. make sense to me. So, exactly. yeah. Yeah, and I'll get in trouble for that, but that's all right. I'm ready for the fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, hey, you, you've been fighting... I mean, you've been, man, you've been in battle ever since, uh, Jesus, ever since I've known you, <laughs> you know, on the pastoring side and policing side, man, you just, you're just a warrior and I respect your integrity. Okay. Let's, let's just pivot for a minute, man. Cause I've just got a little time with you. Um, and just focusing on that nurturing piece as, as a pastor and mentor, because you're doing some other things, not only, 
uh, your uh, career field as a police chief, but also within the community. And this is what makes you so vital. Um, talk to me about, I think it's called the, the men initiative that, that you do. I have a, a canopy organization called the Manhood Initiative. And the focus of that is to create an environment of definition for men through various formats, whether they be young men or older men. One of the things that I believe, one of the 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 hope of the body of Christ that receives the least attention is the development of men. And I've always said, if God gets men, then he gets the whole world. Imagine if God can capture the heart of a man, the ripple effect that that has right, in right. any home, in any community. And, and the first, in, in God's mind, the first thing he did was, was create a man to, to have authority and, and dominion. That was his first idea. It wasn't the church. His first idea wasn't the church. It was a man and a wife. Right. That was his original intention. And from that spurned the church. Right. But that's one of the things we 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 are doing. Um, the if you look at the statistics on fatherlessness and the correlation between those that didn't have a father and the lack of success, the incarceration uh, rates, the violence that occurs from people that don't have a father, we begin to locate one of the root issues in our society. Whenever you have in a region lots of gun violence, it's easy to start saying we just need these people arrested and to put them away, but that's not going to solve the problem. That's right. just like having a dandelion that you pluck off from the top, and if you don't get the root of it, it'll keep growing back. And I believe one of the roots causes of some of the ills of our society is the lack of development that we have in men. So one of the things that we have done, we, we do uh, mentoring, uh, where we'll do small sessions and bring men together and begin to mentor them. We'll do conferences, um, regional conferences, uh, conferences where we've, we've gone to Gatineau, Quebec, Montreal, Toronto, Chicago, various places here in the States. And we just start begin to talk about empowering manhood, similar to the panels that you're doing now that I've seen with some of your men. And, and here more recently, we developed a program called Bridge to Manhood. And this is where I think the church has to come into play and that that we have collaborated with the Michigan City Police Department, with the, the Michigan City Area School System, with the Juvenile Probation Center, and then we got a group of ministers and we're collaborating to bring young men between the ages of 13 and 17 um, into a particular space and we gather high-level speakers impactors and we begin to talk to them about what real manhood looks like and that can well, play let, out. Let, go ahead let me actually let me actually your experience in that because of course you know and what i do and you do is so parallel um as it relates to mission and um but i want to ask you what is the the notable impact in other words i know with me dealing with these kids and we're in the probation probation department, you know, we're dealing with those kids and created a alternative program. And, and some of these kids are what they classify at risk, the worst of the worst. But what I found, man, is 
although we have curriculum that we created and, and a support system, infrastructure, uh, all of that is in play, the most effective um, impact is love and care. In other words, I'm finding out, and, and I, want you to, I want to see if you having the same experience, I'm finding out that all these kids need is, is care and love and support, and their lives are changed. Even if we didn't have, a, a, you know, a four guiding topics and, you know, all the whistles and bells, the most essential is time. Do you see the same dynamic happening with you? Uh, like it is a hidden jewel, um, being able to impart in these kids, and it's so simple. It's not complicated, although we throw billions of dollars at it. What is your experience? You are right on target. It is the, the, the platform for everything that we do is love and compassion. Uh, you're absolutely right. I remember being in the school system when we first went to the school system, and our schools were off the hook. It was the wild, wild west. And the first year I was in the school system, I had 143 arrests, which is ridiculous, unbelievable, wow. in one school year. Ten, fast forward 10 years later, that number was at a minimal. And myself and a principal worked diligently. And people would ask us, how did you do what you did? How did you change the culture of the school? And when it was all said and done, we said this, we showed them love. And that was it. That was the secret sauce. It's not so hard. <laughs> it's not. Not. It was complicated. It was confused. Why did they listen to you and they won't listen to the teachers? Why? How exactly. can you up? It, it confounded them, Bishop, because here I was as a police officer who traditionally right. people hate. And right. now get this, Bishop, whether they were white, yes. whether, they were, whether they were black, Yes. Whether they were rich or whether they were poor, whether they were straight or gay, yeah. because they felt love for the first time in their life and that somebody cared about them. And it would it would be very uncomfortable to watch people when a, a white kid, an Asian kid, um, uh, any type of kid would come up to myself or the sister principal and they would say, hey, dad, they looked at that was what they were missing in their life to have a father that loved them. Right, right. That you was know, it. That's the secret sauce. That's the secret sauce, man. And, you know, uh, I am shocked at people's response. And I think that's that, that pastoring and care and leading, feeding, caring, anointing that, that is on our life. But, but also we as the church have the love of God, that agape love, that self-sacrificial love, that love that is limitless, you know that can look beyond people's circumstance and see the need of affection and care. But it, it, it blew me away, and still I'm taken back that when I get in some of these meetings, these political meetings or le leadership or, you know, what are we going to do about gun violence? What are we going to do about this and that? And I begin to explain to them 10 years of results of change within the kids. And this is what has happened in documents, documented you know, realities that this is, and I begin to tell them that at the fundamental foundation, man, is care and love and being able to connect with them relationally becomes the secret sauce that ultimately wins their trust. But it, it, it blows my mind that it's hard for people to receive it if they've been working in uh, 
this particular career field as a probation officer and all they're dealing with is the behavior of the kids on the negative, it's mm -hmm. hard for them to buy into the other side that would really trans transform their life. And it's just amazing, man, uh, what the power of love can do. So let's, let's uh, turn a corner uh, and just pivot one more time here. What, what is your, I guess I would say your, your prophetic forecast um, as it relates to, you know, what God is saying to you about the nation? Because we have, of course, suicide has increased. We got racial issues. We got mental health issues. We got economic issues. There's just so many things, healthcare that's going on right now. Um, what is your your prophetic insight concerning what God is saying to us? Um, and if the Lord has revealed some uh, principles or pillars on what He's going to do to help us get out of some of this mess. I think that what we're talking about today uh, is an indication of where God is, is, is taking us in the future. And, uh, and please understand this, Bishop. I never desired to be the chief of police. Gotcha. I was two months away from retiring and had a nice job waiting for me where I would have made more money than what I'm, I'm making now. I remember God divinely put me in this position because of what he wanted done in this region. And for me, one of the things I understand as a leader and any leader in any community uh, must really understand this is that what happens to the leadership is an indication of where God is going. God has always used prophets to forecast or preview the future. He would allow prophets to go through certain things and their lives were prophetic pictures of what God wanted, wanted done. So whenever a leader has been strategically sent to a particular region, then the activity of his life um, realistically forms the prophetic preview for the direction that God wants to go and that's what makes them leaders. That's why Apostle Paul would always say, uh, follow me as I, I follow Christ. And yeah. he would talk about follow my ways, which be yeah. in Christ. In other words, Apostle Paul was taken by God through some particular experiences that were previews for where God was going to take them. And he had to walk a path that was virgin to prepare others who came behind him to have footprints and diagrams of how to manipulate and walk through the future. So with that being said, I understand that with God taking me, whose mentality was I'm apostolic, my job is to plant churches and to train and equip people. And he takes that grace upon my life and he makes me the chief of police. For me, that is a prophetic indicator of where God is taking the church and yeah. that in, in the days and the, the months and the years to come, there are going to be people that are raised up inside of our churches that God is strategically going to place in secu secular systems to manifest the kingdom of God. For come too on. long, we have vied for a position to speak in front of the church, 
but your ministry is just as legitimate as your if you're operating as the CEO of a hospital, as a political um, figure in your region, in your state, or nationally. The kingdom of God is going to manifest in that direction, and I really believe prophetically that you're going to see more people like me that are going to come forth in the days to come uh, that are going to be refined inside of the churches and carry with them a level of purity, a level of holiness, that they may be able to go into these demonic structures and based on the strength of their purity and their walk with God, they will become disruptors and influencers and climate and culture changes to everything out there because the world is looking for solutions and they have none, but the solutions are found in the church. And that's why God is strategically moving us out of primarily just being inside of the church on Sundays, but moving us strategically more into the world where we are of this, we are in this world, but not of this world. We yeah. will no longer be afraid to interact with homosexuals and transgenders and people that are oppositional, but we will use the love of God to uh, uh, build right alongside of them, but not be like them and show yeah. them the superior of the kingdom of God. And these people are going to get healed by us going into the places where we wouldn't go before or interacting with groups that we wouldn't interact with because we were too self-righteous. And that's where the love piece comes in. You even bring yeah. up love is the peace. Love is going to be defined in a new realm like we've never known it before, where we'll have compassion even on those that we stayed away from in the past. We'll be able to right. deal with the messiness of the world and manifest the beauty, the power, the strength, and the superiority of the kingdom of God. Come on, man. Man, I receive it. You're listening to... My good friend, Dion Campbell, police chief, he is a police chief. He is still a pastor, although he don't uh, oversee a church. The mantle is still upon him. We've been talking about the prophetic, these particular anointings that God has given. Um, and I am um, very, very blessed. I know you, you all have been blessed in hearing the word, the revelation, the insight, the articulation, in dealing with these particular dynamics and challenges that we have today in our nation and around the world. But listen, uh, man, I love you. I appreciate you just coming on and just talking to us for a few minutes about uh, policing, about pastoring and the prophetic. Uh, I know that the people that are listening are going to get, uh, well, they're, they're, they're being blessed, but you're probably going to get some <laughs> some people to, to call you or to try to get a hold of you to come and speak and just in, encourage their leadership. Uh, Brother Campbell, is it anything else, uh, final words that you would like to, to say to the people? Well, I, I think I, I better say hello uh, to my pastor, your lovely wife, and uh, uh, who, who makes everything work well. So we just bless you. Bless your church family. I love you and the church family. Uh, I guess the last thing that I'll say, Bishop, is that we have to collaborate. You're go you can't go at this thing alone. Uh, alone, yeah. There is a power in collaborating with like-minded people to build things bigger than yourself. And, uh, and, and there's a beauty in that. But thank you, Bishop, for all that you do. Uh, bless you and your wife for the tremendous work 
Um, you guys are ahead of your time. It's always amazed me that your platform has not been bigger than what it is because you're very, very big in the spirit. But that's what being a trailblazer um, is is about and that people will not catch up with you until about 10, 12 years from the, the time you implement st- something. Uh, they'll have to come to you and figure out how you did it. But thank you for your diligence in the kingdom. Uh, for me, you are a very potent apostolic leader, um, and I love you and your wife very much and your church family, and thank you for doing what, what you're doing. I bless you. I value you. I I, I I pray uh, God's will continue over your life for a greater level of strength, a new deposit of grace, a fresh wind of fire and power to annihilate and defeat and dismantle every demonic force that would stand in the way of what God called you to do. And I pray that you finish everything that God has put in your hand. I love you, Bishop. Man, I received that. <laughs> Man, I, Lord have mercy, I received that. I receive it, I receive it, man. I appreciate you. Well, folks, you've heard it. Dion Campbell is a man of God. And listen, I love you. Continue to tune in to Legacy Leadership Alliance. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Remember, it is better to live by principle than to die by impulse. You guys go and be incredibly, incredibly blessed. Thank you for listening to the Legacy Leadership Alliance podcast. We invite you to continue to join us at the intersection of religion, education, and the marketplace as we provide synergy and faith toward the future. Follow us on all podcast platforms and subscribe. Contact Sean Cooper at bishopshawn at gmail.com. To donate to Legacy Leadership Alliance Cash App Dollar Sign Bishop Sean. And remember it is better to live by principle than to die by impulse.